it gives a well-rounded approach to digital and social strategy and gives you a few different perspectives so that you can choose the right path for yourself and what you're trying to achieve. Welcome back to Young Smart Money. My name is Apple Crater and I am your host. So today in this episode, we've got a big name in the world of social media on the show. His name is Brendan Kane. He is a growth strategist. He is an author. He is a speaker and he is somebody who is killing it on social media. So if you are somebody who is looking to grow an Instagram page, your personal brand, um, any kind of social media presence, this is going to be a value-packed interview for you. All right, so just to give you guys some quick context before we hop into the interview about who Brendan Kane actually is. Brendan Kane, he's a digital strategist for Fortune 500 companies, global brands, and celebrities. Okay, so this guy's working with people who are at the top of the top. He started his career in the entertainment industry. He managed digital divisions for two prominent movie studios. And then he actually went on to build some applications and campaigns for some celebrity clients that you might be familiar with, including Taylor Swift, Rihanna, Katie Couric, and many others. Okay, so this guy's working with people who you definitely know, working with household names in order to allow them to grow their social media presence and just expand across different platforms. And today what he's here to share is his framework for leveraging digital platforms to grow your brand both quickly and effectively. So without further ado, we're going to welcome Brendan to the show, whether you're out and about, whether you are driving to work, wherever you are at the gym, listening to this podcast, let's sit back, relax, and get ready for some serious value when it comes to social media and building your brand online. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, Brendan, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So for those of you guys that aren't familiar with Brendan Kane and what he's all about, I'm going to give you a little bit of an intro because you definitely do deserve one. So basically what Brendan does, he's a digital strategist for Fortune 500 companies and celebrities, including uh, Taylor Swift he's worked with. He's worked with Rihanna. He's worked with Katie Couric, like all of these huge, huge names that he has worked with on their social media game. So this is something, this is somebody who, who has done a lot of cool things in the space. I'm really excited to break down some of the different uh, things that he's worked on and ways that he's gotten to where he's at right now. Um, so Brendan, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Awesome. 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 Um, well, how did that intro sound? Anything else you want to fill in really quick? No, I think that's good. I mean, I can dive into more background, whatever be most helpful to the audience. Yeah. So the first thing I want to kind of dive into is when did you get involved first with social media? Because I know it's a huge part of what you're doing right now. Uh, so can you fill us in a little bit on when that got started for you? Yeah, I think the, the, the earliest days is probably back in 2002, 2003. Wow. So I initially went to film school because I wanted to learn the business side of film and, and be a right. film producer, but quickly realized that they don't teach you anything about business in film school. <laughs> so figured out the best way to really learn about business is to start your own. So mm -hmm. while I was going to college, I started three internet companies really wow. to just learn and experiment. It wasn't about how much money can I generate and generate a big business. It was really more about what does it really take to build a product or build a service online. And then when I moved to LA in 2005 to pursue a career in film. It's when the entertainment industry started to reawaken to digital after the dot-com bust. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of high profile people asking questions about how do we leverage digital platforms? How do we leverage social media? Because social media was becoming um, an intricate part of everyday 
life for people and it was sure. really starting to grow. You know, the big player at the, spot, at the time was MySpace and YouTube was coming on the scene. So that's when I just started to understand and like one of the biggest things that I believe in is what's your differentiator? What's your hook point? How, how are you different than everybody else and how can you provide value? Mm. And I just saw that there was a lot of these high profile people that were looking for answers and uh, just decided to leverage that knowledge and expertise that I had gained over the years in, in creating those internet companies to really forge connections, get my foot in the door and get my career started. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Well, that is wild. And there's a lot in there that I want to dive deeper into. The first thing is starting three internet companies in college is not something that a lot of people do. And because a lot of our listeners are on the younger side, I would really like to dive a little bit deeper into some of those ventures and how they worked out for you. So can you break down, uh, we'll start with the first one and just what was that? Yeah. So the first one was actually, it was interesting. So back in the day, there was this website and I don't think it's around. I think it merged or changed, but it was called Alexa. Okay. And it's not the, the, it's not, not the Amazon. It's not the Amazon Alexa, but it was a ranking website that you could rank your website on. Like you could type in any website and we give you kind of like a ranking of like where you ranked in the world. And we had found somebody that had built an automated script that would ping the server uh, to, to generate a boost in your Alexa ranking. Hmm. So basically, we were helping people improve their their overall Alexa ranking, which would help them from a validation and credibility standpoint. So okay. basically, we bought this script off of some. I think we spent like less than fifty dollars, and wow. and then we like generated profit in the first day. Wow! And I think that's like the the amazing thing, and it's even more prevalent today. But the amazing thing about the internet, especially for the younger audience that you have is like, you can start a business online for like little to no money today mm. and make a profit off of it. And also I think I love it because like you can choose something you're passionate about. It's like, mm. there is a, there is a way to make money off of anything. Like I had, I knew somebody that literally in the MySpace days created a website where you could get embed codes that would like make your profile, like, uh, like glitterized or, <laughs> like weird like graphics and stuff. And he ended up making like a million dollars off of that website in like two years. My God. Off of something so simple. Wow. There's just so much opportunity out there. Yeah, for sure. How did you, how did you stumble upon like this Alexa site and figure out that businesses were trying to rank on it? Because as a college student, I mean, you probably had other things that you were working on. So how did you even become aware of this space? I don't even, uh, to be honest, I don't even remember how we came across it. I think maybe we were looking at it for a website that we were building, hmm. but like my mindset always goes to business. It's like, what are the different business models? What are different ideas? And like, I'm constantly coming up with new creative ideas all the time. And that's just kind of what, a, how I love to spend my time. Hmm. And I think it's been ingrained in me since the earliest days of, of exploring the world of being an entrepreneur. That's very interesting. Do you have any strategies or places that you go when you're really trying to hone in on some of these creative ideas that, that really allow you to, to generate more? I would say, to be honest, the issue that I run into, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, is not coming up with the creative ideas. I think that's easy. Okay. Which ideas are you going to follow through with? Which ideas are you going to tackle? Which I think is a more important question. Mm. Because I, to me, to me... I think you can be successful with any idea. Like sure there's bad ideas, but I see people that make money off of bad ideas are just really good executors. And then yeah. there's people with amazing ideas 
that don't come to fruition because they don't know how to execute properly. So to me as an entrepreneur, I would say that like the creative ideas come to me naturally okay. and through conversations with people. I'm always meeting new people because I want to learn as much uh, through reading or listening to podcasts or things like that nature. Like over time, the more and more you learn, like you, you go back to past experiences and they, they will spark new ideas. But I think really the lesson is what are the right ideas for you what, that play to your strengths, also play to your weaknesses and what you're passionate about. I think people oftentimes are just choosing concepts that are just going to make money and they don't mm. recognize, they think, oh, I'm going to exit in a year. When yeah. in reality, it may take five years or 10 years or 15 years to build that business. And you've got to be like, you got to ask yourself, like, is this something you want to do for five or 10 years if it takes that long? It doesn't always take that long, but that's kind of where I've had to hone my skill set over the years is really choosing the right things to chase. A hundred percent. And figuring out which of those ideas you are like willing to weather the storm in if they do take like five, 10 years instead of a, a shorter window that you're, that you're assuming, because if you don't have the passion that's, that's driving you behind it, it's going to be a lot harder to stick with those things. And a lot of people do get caught up in the idea of, of going out there and buying a Ferrari after year one or, or what's going to make them the most money the quickest. And in reality, if, if you're not willing to stick with it, then it's not going to make you money for very long, if, if at all. So I think it's a really important thing that you hit on. And do you have any strategies for narrowing down your focus? Because like you said, you're coming up with dozens of ideas all the time, but how do you figure out uh, other than just the ones that you could see yourself being really passionate about, like which ones are worth your, your time and, and attention? Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things is experience and I rely on the experience of being a part of massive failures, but also success, mm. successful ventures as well to guide me in it. And I think that really the specifically the the failures what has taught me is what i'm not good at and i think that that's a huge component of choosing a concept to chase is like does it play to your strengths or is it going to require to fulfill those weaknesses and if it does require to fill those weaknesses do you have somebody else that can come in and, and fill in that gap whether that's a partner or you hire somebody whether that's an employee or a contractor so to me, that is the most important thing that I focus on is, is this going to get me into trouble by forcing me to do work that I'm not good at? Mm. And then secondarily, which we are also mentioned, is there something that I'm passionate about? Is like, is this an idea that I'm, up, I'm passionate about, but it also does it fulfill me in terms of the type of work that I will have to do? Again, playing into what I'm best at, playing into what I'm, uh, my strengths are. And I think that there's a, a huge misconception uh, especially, I think it's less so now. I think it's kind of going away, but there's this misconception that you have to get really good at your strengths. Hmm. I mean, really good at your weaknesses. Hmm. And I think that you should focus more on your strengths because I think most things are a commodity today where you can hire people to fill in your weaknesses. Like if you're not a strong writer and your business re requires somebody to, to write mm -hmm. or you know, you need to get to put together sales presentations or decks and you're just not good at that and it drains you, hire somebody to do it. Like there's so 100%. many amazing writers out there. If you're not a great designer, like for example, like I built technology platforms for like 10 years and I don't know how to read or write a single line of code <laughs> and I will never will learn because I don't need to, because you can hire developers to do that. Why would I spend my time trying to learn how to code 
when that's not what my strength is. It's not what I'm passionate about. And I think that people get caught up in that. I have to get really good at what I'm, what I'm not good at, or I have to get, I have to improve upon my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. But in, in one thing that I think is really important and I see a lot of people not spending as much time on as they should, in my opinion, is young people not even figuring out what they're strong in, in the first place. Like they're just going around bouncing between so many different things. They never like take the time to actually like get good at something. Yeah. And to be honest, it took me 10 or 15 years to really understand what I was good at. It took me a long time to understand okay, this is my strong suit and this is what I'm really weak at. And it, for me, it just took experience. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a huge thing that you have in your youth is you have the ability to go off and try things and test things and fail. Like, uh, I think that's the beauty of the, the, the country that we live in today, uh, getting to explore and travel other parts of the world is here, failure is embraced. It's not something that's frowned upon. It's like, it's a part of, of the DNA of this country. It's the part of the DNA of entrepreneurs. But if you go to other parts of the world, it's, it's frowned upon. Like you like, especially like I go to London pretty often and it's getting better, but failure is really frowned upon. It's not like, it's not one of those things that it's like, okay, just dust yourself off and, and try something new where it is here in the U S. And I think that that's why the tech community and the entrepreneurship community is so strong here Mm -hmm. is that it's just constantly of like learning from, from your mistakes and failures. And as an entrepreneur, you have, at a young age, you have that ability. And I really encourage people, you don't have a family, you don't have a mortgage, you don't have kids, like just try stuff and like do stuff that's exciting to you and and learn from those experiences. Exactly, exactly. You just have so few obligations. And oftentimes you just have so many safety nets that you can fall back on. Like I'm going to school right now, I'm getting a degree. That's, That's a huge safety net for me. If any project that I'm working on doesn't work out. Like I have that safety net. And, and if you're in school and your parents are, are financially secure and they're able to support you, that's another huge, huge safety net that you have to go out there and take those risks and, and try something new and fall on your face. And, and honestly, like for me, the most progress that I have made has been from my failures and learning from the things that didn't go right. That is, that is where so much growth happens. And, and so many people are just too afraid to even take that first step because they fear failing. They fear looking dumb in front of their friends. They fear not getting to, to the places that their friends are at or whatever, but there's just, there's just so much to gain from taking risks, especially at a young age. And I'm, I'm really glad that you hit on that because it's just, it's so, so essential to, to everything that I talk about is, is just going out there and, and trying things because if you never try things, you're, you're really just, you're, you're just putting yourself in a, in a poor situation. So I'm, I'm really, really with you on that. And, and there's just, there's, there's so, there's so much opportunity out there. So um, when you were getting started and, and really building these different companies, did you have many sort of mentor figures that you looked up to, or was it really just trial and error on your part and like falling down on your face a couple of times? Very early on, it was just falling down and mm-hmm. just doing without mentors. Over the years, I have learned to identify mentors and, and uh, try and pick people. You know, I've picked people in the past that just haven't worked out and, you know, I've picked some really good people as well. So I think if you can find mentors, it's, it's a huge benefit because what it does is it it mitigates your learning curve is that you can rely on people that, that have been there, that have done it and can save you from making certain mistakes. Now for some people, that's not easy to find mentors, you know, based upon where they, they live or they just don't know how to reach out or connect to people. Or if they do reach out and connect with people, they don't respond. Mm-hmm. And that's where like, there's so many amazing resources out there today. Like there's podcasts, there's books, there's 
there's so much information about that, you know, specific, like, for example, like Tim Ferriss just put out the book tribe of mentors, which yeah. is all about him wanting to get advice from all these different mentors. Like there's so many resources at your fingertips that yes, it's awesome. If you can get somebody to mentor you early on, uh, like one-on-one or even in a group setting, but if you can't, there's just, there's so much information available at our fingertips today that wasn't really there 20 or 30 years ago. And I think taking advantage of that can put you light years ahead of your competition or help you achieve at a much quicker rate. A hundred percent. And that's something that, that I come back to time and time again, and, and guests really do just emphasize the role that mentors have had on their lives and just saving them even years of, of work that they would have had to go through and learn themselves. Like you can get that experience from a mentor and, and it can just be really, really valuable to your journey. So a lot of the social media entrepreneurs that I have on the show are very focused on, on sort of turning themselves into celebrities, whereas it seems like you are very focused on working with other people and allowing them to, to amplify their celebrity status. I mean, some of those big names that we mentioned earlier in the show. So can you talk a little bit about why you decided to go down that route and why you decided to work with some of these big names um, and how that, even, how that even transpired? Yeah, so I kind of fell into it again, starting off in the entertainment industry and being in LA, mm-hmm. you're automatically thrust into this world of celebrity. And also LA is, is a pretty big central hub for business yeah. in general. And I started off, as I mentioned, in the entertainment industry and was working within the studio system of creating uh, digital strategy campaigns for films ranging from 15 to $100 million budgets. Wow which then led into working with actors and directors and producers because you're in that environment of working with them on their films. And in that process, I really got the entrepreneurial bug and realized that I wanted to go off on my own and not work for a company. And that's where I started building technology platforms and licensing them back to big media companies. So I I built and licensed platforms for like Viacom, MTV, Yahoo, Vice, MGM, to name a few. And it was really the, the partnerships that I struck with MTV that opened up the doors to work with big celebrities. So I licensed two different technology platforms to them and created partnerships. And that's where it opened up the doors to build technology platforms for Taylor Swift and her team and led to building a technology platform for Rihanna and Michael Strahan and a few others. So it was really those partnerships that forged those connections. And I don't think that I really went into it saying, oh, I want to work with celebrities. I sure. want to I want to build technology or help t- celebrities with social. Is I was more driven by the excitement to create platforms and then determining how those platforms could be leveraged. And one of those ways was through that partnership with MTV, which led to the celebrity and uh, professional athlete angle. What do you mean by platforms? So I built one advertising platform early on that essentially was probably like when I think, because I was thinking about it back about it the, the other week and it was essentially, it was the first probably influencer marketing platform ever built. So hmm. it was back in my, the MySpace days that I recognized that people were posting content to their profile. They're posting movie trailers, posters like Nike posters or music videos. And to me, it was like the most valuable form of advertising. It was a friend sharing a piece of content with a friend. Yeah. And I just noticed that MySpace was monetizing that. Like they were monetizing their community off of 
just CPMs and the CPMs were dirt cheap. They were like a dollar, $2 CPM. So I was like, how is this acquisition when Fox acquired them? I think it was like 600 million or whatever. How are they going to make that money back? And that's where I came up with that concept. So I had built a platform that you could take that media, like a movie trailer or a TV spot or commercial and embed it into your MySpace profile or to your blog. And then each time somebody engaged with that content, you would get each time one of your friends or your followers would engage with that content, you would get a share of that revenue. Hmm. Uh, and then the second platform I built was a website building application that could dynamically write code for you. So this was back in like 2007, 2008. And there's since platforms out there like Squarespace and Wix mm-hmm. now that are kind of similar, but we built a, a, an enterprise version of it that literally could support a huge website like Taylor Swift. And for example, like Taylor Swift's website, we built in less than six or seven hours wow. on the platform and we could dynamically change every element of it without writing code. And, and we did a joint venture with MTV on that and supported Taylor Swift's website for about two and a half years and built another iteration of that for her fans where they fans could turn their Facebook profiles and Taylor Swift fan websites automatically in less than 60 seconds and then created an iteration for Rihanna. And yeah, so that those were kind of the platforms that that I built in those situations. Okay. Very, very interesting. So where, where did you find your team or like, how did you assemble a, a group of people that were able to execute on these tasks? Because you, you said that you don't have any programming experience. So I, these sound like they were pretty programming intensive. So where did you, did you have like a core group of people that you were working with throughout all of these ventures? Or did you just like pick up a team for each of these things individually? Yeah, or so that the initially started with my lead developer who became CTO that I worked with on the startups I created in college. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of built a team around that uh, for one product because one product was just more of like a contract for hire. And then as these partnerships developed, we had to, to develop or hire full-time employees and those full-time developers, uh, we just went through an interview process. But the core, the core team I discovered very early on through and to be honest, I don't even remember where I initially met him from, but it was probably through a referral or recommendation. But today, like if you want to build technology platforms, there's so many different ways that you can go about it. Again, like if it's a simple website or something, you have Squarespace or Wix or these platforms that literally you can go in and build it yourself. Or if you're like trying to build WordPress, there's like a huge community of WordPress developers and there's like contractor websites like Upwork. So there's so many different routes that you can take in terms of building technology platforms today. hundred percent, hundred percent. I just hired my first couple of VAs um, online and, and it's just been revolutionary. And there's so much opportunity for you for, for scaling up your team uh, for, for relatively cheaply. If you are just bringing in some revenue, like the ability to scale is, is definitely there. And if you have that idea, if you have that, uh, if, you, if you know where you're trying to get, uh, bringing people on board that, that can get the job done is not, it's, it's not terribly difficult, but you do have to be pretty careful about how, how you go about doing it. So do you have any tips for our listeners who maybe are getting started building a team and they're not really sure uh, maybe some of the first steps to take or what to look for in potential partners that they decide to work with? Yeah, I always recommend starting out with a test is give them, especially when you're hiring contract workers is mm-hmm. give them a, a very specific task and say, okay, depending on what the task is, like if it's a pretty simple task, spend two hours doing this task and see what you can do. If it's a more complex task, maybe you need to give them five or 10 hours, but always giving them some type of test 
to see what they can come through with and, and if they can deliver. Because I think sometimes people get overexcited by a great call mm. uh, or a great resume when it may just not be the right fit. So, so making sure that you're running tests, uh, task-oriented things, and, and also setting specific goals and objectives for the people on your team and, and making sure that they're hitting those goals and objectives. And if they're not hitting those goals and objectives, clearly find out why they're not. I mean, maybe it's something on your end that you're not supplying them or you're not clear enough in your direction. But I think that those are super critical when you're talking about hiring people, even on a contract basis. Hundred percent. That accountability is huge, and if if somebody is able to not, if they're able to get away with not doing what you ask them to do, and there's no like repercussions for that, if you don't follow up with them, then they're going to get in the habit of doing that because there's no there's no negative consequence for them. So it's really important to yeah establish those clear benchmarks that you want them to hit, and if that doesn't happen, yeah, having that follow up conversation and really figuring out what went wrong and what you can do to improve, I think is 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 huge. And now what I want to dive into more is is the social media side of things and what you've been able to do over there. So you released a book recently called A Million Followers in 30 Days, I believe, uh, sort of detailing how you were able to grow a, a massive following in a relatively short amount of time. So can we dive a little bit deeper into that? And first, can you just give us like a brief overview of what the book's about? Yeah, so the book, so the book is like, the, I would say about 30 to 40% of the book is, is the system that I devised and how I was able to generate a million followers in 30 days on Facebook. But I'm a firm believer in that, that one strategy is not right for everybody. It's like, I, I think that that's an issue that I see with social media experts or agencies. They basically sell only what they know mm. instead of finding something that's the right fit yep. for a client. And that's why I like to serve more as a strategist uh, so that I can find the best approach for the individual client and what their specific objectives and goals are. So the rest of the book, I went out and interviewed my top partners and colleagues on how they were able to grow massive social followings and on other social channels. So we, we have a chapter on Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, uh, but also I dove into e-commerce and content testing and optimization, just getting like the best information from the people that I know and trust into one book so that, that it gives a well-rounded approach to digital and social strategy and gives you a few different perspectives so that you can choose the right path for yourself and what you're trying to achieve. A hundred percent. And I'm glad you mentioned that how a lot of agencies out there are really just trying to sell this like one size fits all model that doesn't usually provide the most value to the people that they're trying to work with. So I think it's really important to really tailor whatever you offer to what people actually need and not just have like your, your one package that you sell to everybody and expect that to do a good job at getting them the results that they're looking for. So I think that's really essential. And can you talk a little bit about, uh, I've had a couple of guests come on before and talk about Instagram and, and sort of refer to Facebook as like Instagram's like dying cousin and, and, and a platform that doesn't really have much potential left in it. But can you talk about really what you see there and how you were able to grow a million followers on this platform that a lot of people would claim as dead? Yeah, I, I first would disagree wholeheartedly that the platform's dead. I think that Yes, there's probably some areas and there's some metrics out there because I read the articles as well yeah. about people saying it's dying. Yes, there's some audiences in specific parts of the world that there is declined usage. Mm -hmm. But first off, you have to look at, like I think also people get so caught up in just thinking about things in terms of the US perspective. Yeah. Where, you know, what there's, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's like 350, 360 million people in the US. Something like that. 
but there's over 7 billion people in the world. Yeah. People really don't, it's, and it's, it's, I don't know why, but we're very sheltered here in the U S and we just think about ourselves and we don't really extend out of that. And you got to think that there's 2.2 billion people on the platform. There's 350 million people in the U S like the the platform's growing and there's a ton of people on there. Yes. There's certain segments that they're, they're declining in terms of usage. And then obviously Instagram is picking up in that, but I listen, I'm in the platform every day. I see the traffic. I use the ad platform and you can just see people engaging with content. And there's a reason that Facebook is valued at what it's valued at in the hundreds of billions of dollars is because the platform works. And mm-hmm. yes, Instagram is growing rapidly. Instagram is probably the most valuable from a brand perception per- perspective when you're talking about becoming an influencer and how brand dollars are allocated to that versus Facebook and YouTube. But when you're talking about a platform of that type of scale, there's still tremendous opportunity there. Now, it's not to say that you shouldn't focus on other platforms uh, or you may just say, I'm not interested in Facebook. I'm going to focus on YouTube. or I'm going to focus on Instagram. Completely fine. Uh, I just see an opportunity with the level of scale and how the platform grows. And the big differentiator between Facebook and the other platform, it's inherently a democratic platform. It's like the way that growth happens is you put content out through your channel and it extends out exponentially because it's based upon the share feature. And like, that's really what the platform is, is a sharing platform versus you look at Instagram and YouTube. It's not really based upon sharing. Like YouTube is based on views, view through rate. Yes. There's a level of engagement in terms of comments, Instagram, it's likes and comments. It's not really built around shares. So basically it's more of like for Instagram example, like you can't, you can't like, yes, people talk about going to hitting the Explorer page and growing, but from my experience, like hitting the Explorer page doesn't drive dramatic growth. Like no. I hit the Explorer page all the time and maybe I'll get like hundred, 200 follower gains. But with like Instagram, for example, like the growth is syndicating your content out on other people's channels and driving it back. So you're really relying heavily on distribution of your content for other people to distribute it. And then YouTube is really a search game. Like it's the algorithms and, Yes, subscribers play into that fact. But again, like I like Facebook because the viral potential and the growth potential is so large and so quick that if you get the right content in front of the right people, uh, you can scale quickly. Like I just started talking with this content creator, Jay Shetty, who just moved to, to mm-hmm. LA. Yeah. And he generated, I think, 20 million followers in 18 months on Facebook and did wow. three, three and a half billion views on the platform. Because he's just creating super viral content. It's like Prince EA who wrote the forward for my book, also the same way. Like he's generated a billion or two billion views in the past two years because it's highly shareable. And to me, I think that that's where the real potential of the platform is on top of the advertising platform, which also extends Instagram because it powers the Facebook ad platform powers both Facebook and Instagram is so powerful in terms of the granularity, in terms of the targeting that you can reach people with your audience and drive a lot of traffic, registrations, uh, social engagement, sales, or the way that I look at it is really leveraging it as a market research tool to test and understand how your content's performing with different audiences. Hmm. Can you, can you touch a little bit more on that? Yeah. So it was the process that I used to actually generate a million followers in 30 days on the platform where it took about three years to develop the system where basically I, I, I leverage the advertising platform as a market research tool. I don't re- leverage it as an advertising tool or a media buying tool. Hmm. And what that looks like is 
I was able to develop a system where you can test content at scale, where you can take like a single piece of content and turn it into hundred variations in less than like 20 minutes. Wow. And what that looks like is like each variation is five elements. So you have the creative itself, which is like the video or the image. You have the headline, you have the demographics, like male, uh, their, their gender or their, their age. Mm-hmm. You have the interest level. What are they interested in? Like what types of movies do they consume? What type of competitors do they engage with? What type of products or services? What type of cars do they drive? Are they in college? All of that. And then you have geolocation. So each one of those are interchangeable and you can take one piece of content and interchange uh, the, the headline. You can interchange the, the gender or the age and create all these different versions of your piece of content and test it under certain circumstances when it's seeded to different people and really learn what it takes to generate the intended response that you're looking for, whether that's to follow your page, whether that is to generate an email registration, whether that is to get somebody to share that content. Hmm. So literally, like you can test thousands of variations of content uh, through that process. And that's what I did for my experiment of generating million followers in 30 days. I tested 5,000 variations of content over that time period. Wow. And again, it's like a daunting task and a lot, but when you use the system of the five elements of a variation, you can scale quickly. And so what I did every night at midnight, I would, I would schedule anywhere between 50 to 300 variations of content. And then I would wake up in the morning, I'd measure the results, what worked, what didn't work, and use those results to feel the next set of tests at midnight. And I did that over and over again for 30 days to the tune of generating a million followers in 100 different countries. And it wasn't that I hadn't seen big numbers like that before, because I had seen that working with huge celebrities or major media organizations. It was for me as an individual, just sitting behind a desk that could connect with a million people around the world in such a short period of time, just really showed me the potential of having the right strategy and the right testing approach to content. Now we're using that same methodology of testing to Instagram and we're seeing a lot of success with growth on Instagram. But again, the distribution is different. Like Facebook, I was pushing out all this content through my page and extending out and driving the following versus Instagram. We're testing content and then taking that content and distributing it on different channels to drive traffic and follower growth back. Mm. Okay. So basically how I'm hearing this is you created, was it just one piece of creative or did you have a bunch of pieces of creative as well? No, we had a bunch of different pieces of creative. But what we say is, we like to maximize the potential of a piece of creative. Okay. Uh, so that sometimes you'll have a great piece of creative, you'll put it out and it won't do anything. And then all of a sudden you'll think that it's an issue with the creative when it could be an issue with the algorithm. It could be an issue with the time of day. It could be the issue, the way that you package the content, like packaging content is super critical. Like for videos, we test different meme cards, like the text, the text mm. in the top. We text, uh, test different captions. We test different formats in terms of the sizes. We test different, like the first three seconds are super critical. So yeah. like the first three te- seconds we'll test uh, to really make sure that we're maximizing the potential of the content and learning. Like learning is the most important thing is like learning what works and what doesn't work and understanding if something isn't working, why isn't it working so that you can fuel the intelligence of both your short and long-term content strategy. A hundred percent. Experimentation has been so key to, to everything that I've done on social media because things are always changing and, and people's tastes are always evolving. So being able to keep up with that and figuring out, okay, what do I need to do in the first three seconds? What do I need to, to have on the thing to have on the meme card, to have people actually click on it. 
um, is, is really, really essential. But so basically you're running all these micro tests and then what are you doing with the results? So you're running tests against all these different audiences, all these different headlines. And then what are you, how are you analyzing the results? What are you, what are you using those for? So I'm just basically looking at the data and the, the, the key KPIs that I'm looking for. So okay. a lot of the metrics that we focus on is shareability. It's like, yeah. how do we get more people to share our content? So we measure the, the response rate, the share, like how many people share this content versus how many people are exposed to it. And just like, we're not doing like huge quantitative analysis or anything like that. We're just really honing in on what the core metric is and how our, the content variation performed in terms of that core metric. Hmm. And it applies to Instagram as well as like, we'll put a piece of creative out there and at the simplest form, we'll say, well, how many followers did this piece of creative generate when we uh, distributed to, through our network versus another piece of content? And you'll see, you'll see the clear difference and it will yeah. really show you the power of creative. Like one piece of creative could on Instagram, for example, like we have a partner that has 15 million followers. So we'll put a piece of content on his network and like it could, sometimes it could only generate a hundred followers versus another time it can generate two or 3000 followers. And that just shows you the power of, of content and having the right content and packaging it right. Because I think people mm. think that, Oh, if you put your content in front of a million people, all of a sudden your, your problems are going to be solved and you're exactly. all of a sudden successful. But it's like, that's not the case. Like you have to have the right message. It has to be packaged properly and you have to have the right call to action in order for it to, to generate the, the impact or effect that you're looking for. Hmm. So what, what would you say to a listener who might be trying to build up their own personal brand, just get in front of more people and provide value to people who, who wants to do something like this on a smaller scale? Maybe they're, they're a college student, they don't have the funds to run all of these different tests within Facebook ads. What are some good strategies on a low budget to get some exposure, do some different testing, or, or what would you recommend for getting started on a low budget? Well, I think first off, it's starting with who is the audience you want to reach. Get, mm. get very specific on the audience you want to reach. And then who are the people that are currently speaking to that audience and who are doing it in an effective way? And I'm not saying like, look at Kim Kardashian or Taylor Swift because those are the outliers. Like you can't learn as much from them because they're at the pinnacle. But I would look at people that have generated anywhere between 100,000 to like 700,000 followers that are not big TV stars or have a, 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 you know, a professional athlete or any of them mm -hmm. and really become a student of how they're positioning their content. Like how are they packaging, packaging their content? What is the tone? What is the look? What is the feel? And go through their content and see like the difference in the engagement between different posts and try and understand like, why did this post get like 10,000 times, but this post got like a thousand times and become a real student of other people that are being successful. You can learn a tremendous amount just from that. Mm. And then when it comes to your account is just simply tracking the analytics yourself. It's like, you can just put all of your posts in an Excel spreadsheet and track the engagement rate from post to post and, and try and make assumptions of why certain content's working better than others. Mm. 100%. And there's just so much data out there, like you said, on all of these different accounts with people that are reaching your target market that, that you can go through and you can see, okay, what are their top performing posts? What do they have in common? What do the descriptions look like? What do the, is there any text on the, on the pictures themselves? What does the text look like? And just comparing all of that different data, you, you can really get a good picture for what your target audience is really looking for and what would show up and resonate with them as something that they're already engaging with. So I think that's really, really key to, to look at people in the space that are already having success and, and modeling their success. I think that's really important. 
And also looking at all the posts that they've been tagged in can provide a lot of competitive analysis. Hmm. What do you mean by that? So on Instagram, for example, there's a tab that, that shows you all the posts somebody mm-hmm. has been tagged in. So you can look at all the content that's been reshared or reposted mm. uh, or original content that's been created and look at the engagement around that content. And you can start getting a sense of what content is driving followers for them and also what accounts are driving followers for their account as well. Hmm. That's, that's a really interesting idea that I had never thought of before, but yeah, looking at what, which content they're actually tagged in could be a really good way to, to get some more analysis done there as well. So if we have a younger listener that wants to get themselves out there, that wants to start some kind of, I don't know if it's a personal brand or just some kind of way to get their name out there online. Um, do you think that it's most effective to try to tackle all of these different beasts at once, maybe start like a Facebook page and an Instagram page and a YouTube channel and a Twitter and all these different things. Or do you think it's more beneficial to just focus in on, on one certain platform at first? Yeah, it's a great question. It depends on who you ask because Gary Vaynerchuk will tell you get content on every platform. Yeah. But to me, it's like if you're a young person, you're just starting out, you only have so many resources, I would focus on one. Start hmm. with one, the one that you're most passionate about, the one that you feel like your audience is there, get really good at that, build your audience there, and then diversify from there. Hmm. I, I think that that's because I, I feel like it's really hard to get good at a platform if you're focused on five other platforms at the same time. Like I spent three and a half years really getting good at Facebook. Now I'm spending a lot of time on Instagram, spent the last six or seven months really understanding the Instagram platform. And now I'm getting into YouTube. Uh, that's just my, my school of thought. Like I think that like Gary Vaynerchuk has a, a, good, a good analysis of getting your content out into as many places as possible in different formats. But if you're young, you're just starting out, you don't have a lot of resources. I would say start with one, get really good at it. And then once you get good at it and you gain more resources, then diversify and invest in other directions. Hundred mm, percent. And then, as far as picking a platform, you really just think it comes down to like what somebody's most passionate about or where. I, yeah, I think that's the number one thing. Okay. What do you? What is the platform you use? Because you have to become a student of that platform. And it's a, if it's a platform that you're not using currently, like how are you going to learn anything? Exactly. Exactly. You got to have that experience. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Uh, I got some questions that I like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up the show. You've been dropping value bomb after value bomb so far. Are you ready to hop into those? Yep. Awesome. Let's do it. So the first one is what are you excited about right now? This could be uh, an emerging trend in the wider world of social media. could be something going on in your life, your business, but like, what is something that you are genuinely excited about right now? I think the one thing that is really overlooked is emerging markets hmm. is look at India, Africa, and Indonesia, where it represents a war, the, you know, a third of the world's population. India, few people realize there's 1.3 billion people in the country. There's going to be the world's largest population in less than five years. And it presents a huge opportunity for people that are trying to build global brands. I'm not saying for your local mom and pop e-commerce store, yeah. or even somebody that is trying to build uh, an e-commerce store in the United States that can only ship to that. But if you look at the smartest people on the planet, Netflix said their next 100 million subscribers are coming from India. You look at Amazon and how much money and how their stock valuation was just highly impacted based upon a, a small e-commerce law changing in India. Mm. You look at Facebook and their largest country is in India and Instagram the same as well. You see the smartest people on the planet focusing on those emerging markets. Uh, Google's investing in hot air balloons to, to bring internet to Africa because few people realize that a third of the world's population is not connected to the internet yet. So I think that there's a huge opportunity there that's overlooked because people deem those 
countries or parts of the world as not valuable. And sure, from a per capita basis or on a per individual basis, is it going to be as valuable as the U.S.? No, but the scale, the economies of scale is so large that uh, it presents a unique opportunity for people to take advantage of it. I think the opportunity is there for like two or three years before other people jump on the bandwagon. But uh, that's something that's really exciting to me. Mm, 100%. And it can be so easy for, I, I know personally as a U.S. citizen, it can be very easy to be very egocentric about the United States and really just romanticize uh, what we have going on here and not really look outside to what is going on in the wider landscape of things. And I think that's a huge, huge thing to hit on is just like there is so much going on that is not here in the U.S. that, that we really should be paying attention to if you're trying to create a, a massive business and really have some widespread success. So I think that's really, really important to hit on. Next thing I want to ask you is what are some of the habits that have served you most? These could be business, lifestyle, or any routine things that you do that have, that have helped you get to that next level. Well, I think, and I, I don't know if you classify it as a habit, but I think one of the, 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 the most important life lessons when it comes to business and also applies to personal is don't make uh, rash decisions in an emotional state. Mm. It's like if you're really angry at somebody or you're really angry at a decision that was made take the night to sleep on it. Don't respond. Like I think people just, they want to feel their emotion and get, get out what they're feeling. And it at the time, and it generally is not the same way that they're going to feel 24 hours from now. And I've seen a lot of people burn bridges, lose deals, uh, get fired, whatever it may be, or lose friends because they, they just react based on, based on that emotional state. So I think that the exercise of really taking the time to sleep on something or give something 24 hours before you respond. If you're really upset about something is I think a really important life lesson that I've learned over the years. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, especially as somebody who, who is a young person, it, it can be very easy to get caught up in, in your emotions and think that like this one thing is like critically important and that, that if somebody messed it up, it's like the end of the world, but just, just taking a step back and really just honing in and realizing that, that most things you think are a huge deal aren't actually a huge deal is, is, is really important and something that I've been able to really focus in on over, over probably like the last year. It's just, it's just getting some perspective and figuring out, okay, what is actually really important and what is actually not as important as I'm making it out to be in this one moment. So I think that's really important. What content, if any, are you consuming right now? Oh, this could be books, podcasts, blogs, whatever. Well, I'm diving pretty deep into YouTube right now and studying different interview formats and formats like uh, different show ideas and things like that. So I, I would say that that's uh, spending a, a great deal of time on that. Like if I could re recommend a, a good book for people to check out, I would check out like Contagious by Jonah Berger, mm. who basically focused on virality for 10 or 15 years, which I think is super critical to understand that component if you're getting into producing social and digital content. 100%, 100%. Uh, one thing that I'm really curious about with all of the entrepreneurs that I talk to is uh, what things they do that don't scale or that aren't super, uh, you can't, you can't really replicate these things very easily. So, so a quick example, one thing that I'll do is every day I will log on to Instagram. I'll go through my list of like new followers for the day and I'll send video direct messages to like five to 10 of them just saying like, Hey, what's up? My name's Apple. I appreciate the follow. If there's anything that I can do for you to help you out, provide some value for you, let me know. Have a wonderful day. And that's something that I, I, I could, I could like mass produce it if I just like didn't say their name and like just send it off to a million people. Like I could totally do that, but I, I like to keep it personal. I like to say their name in it. I like to make it be like actual, like me to them just one-on-one. -on -one. And that's something that, that I 
couldn't theoretically mass produce at, at the level that I want to. So uh, is there anything in your business that, that really has that personal touch or is something that you couldn't like mass produce that comes to mind? I think to me, it's creativity. I think that's the hardest, hardest one to outsource. I mean, listen, you can do it. It's hard to do it at scale because you have to have people that really understand the creative vision in terms of the content that you're producing. And, and generally the people that are really good at that are very hot commodities. So they're, they're priced accordingly or they're already working for the, the best and brightest in the world. So yeah. to me, I think that that is one of the toughest ones to, to produce at scale. hundred percent, hundred percent with you on that. Well, uh, Brandon, last question that I have for you is just where can people go if they want to find out more about you, what you're doing, what you're up to, uh, where should I direct our listeners to in the show notes below for them to follow up with you? Yeah, so they can check out more about the book at 1millionfollowers.com. I mean, the book's available on Amazon and all the major retailers like Barnes & Noble and all that. Uh, if they want to get in touch me, with me directly, they can direct message me on Instagram at Brendan Kane or they can email me at uh, B as in boy at seekers, S-E-A-K-E-R-S.com. All right, awesome. I'll be sure to provide all of that in the show notes as well. Brendan, you have been dropping so much value on our listeners today. Any last words of wisdom that you want to share with an audience of young people? I would just say constantly keep learning. Just that's the key to everything is don't get complacent. Always test and try new things and, and explore the opportunity of learning. Mm, 100 hundred thousand percent with that there's so much opportunity out there go out there learn something take advantage of it brendan thank you again so much for your time thank you for spending it on young smart money today i really do appreciate it man for sure thanks for having me All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Young Smart Money. Again, if you guys did enjoy the show, do remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us get in front of more people with the show. It helps you hear from even more amazing guests. It just makes the world go round when you do smash that five-star in iTunes iTunes. And if you guys want me to shout you out in my Instagram story, I am always up for that. So if you send a screenshot of your review to Apple Crater Official on Instagram, shoot me a DM of that or just tag me in it. Would love to repost it on my short story and give y'all a shout out there. Otherwise, I hope you guys do have a wonderful day, whether you're out walking the dog, whether you are at the gym, whatever you are up to on this fine day. I hope it is a splendid one and I will see you in the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Real quick, just launched a new project called the Online Course Examiner, basically the Yelp of online courses. It is blowing up lately, onlinecourseexaminer.com. Check it out.